Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. So great to see all of you today. My name is Jason. I'm one of the guys on the team. And if you are our guest at Fellowship Greenville, we are so thankful that you have joined us. Matt's already mentioned it, but a lot of you have come in since he did. So just let me say it again. If you are our guest, we would love for you to stop by guest services out in the commons or in the back corner if you're over in Auditorium 2, in the back corner of Auditorium 2. And uh, then we have some friendly folks there. We only allow friendly people to serve in those places. And so they'll be super friendly and they would love to meet you, meet your family, answer any questions that you might have about our church family. And if Fellowship Greenville is your home and you're thinking about taking the next practical step and getting connected and plugged in, especially as a new year kicks off, then I have a few options to let you know about all across the area that we like to call the commons. So if you go out after the service and you just stand there for a moment and you look out at Highway 14, you just go out and you face Highway 14. I'd like to see a lot of you do this actually, it'd be very interesting. Just go out there, you stand at, and look at Highway 14. All the way to your far left there in the commons is our Faith at Home Center where you can find great resources for leading and loving your family. I don't know if you know that's there, but it's there and we have resources for you, check them out. That's where you can also find the community Bible reading plan journals if you're interested in getting one of those for 2023. And it is where our prayer collective booklets will be. And I say will be because they're not there yet, but they're on their way. And so you can pick those up even next week, hopefully, possibly. Uh, also would love for you, if you're kind of looking out at Highway 14, all the way to your far right, is a little area that we like to call the Community Group Center. And there you can get more information on getting plugged into a smaller group. We think that's very important for us, especially in a church our size. And then right beside that, out in the Commons area, is a little area we call Next Steps, where you can get information on places to serve the church family and or our community that we all live in. And speaking of serving our community, thanks to all of you that uh, brought in clothes and things and were filling up the trucks from Miracle Hill this morning. If you weren't here last week and you're walking up and you're seeing people drop off stuff. They'll be here next week as well. So you still got time to clean out your closet and stuff. That's awesome. Uh, and so thank you for being so open-handed and generous in that regard. Now, before we jump back into our study uh, through the book of James, uh, I want to share an opportunity uh, with you that we have for you. We've been talking, for, uh, talking about it for a little bit now, but two weeks from today, uh, we're starting a third service and it's going to be Sundays at 5 p.m. And the Lord has been so kind and gracious to grow our church family. So many people who actually wanna jump in and be a part, plug in, serve, be known, give, live on mission with us. And as one of the leaders here, I just wanna let you know, it's incredibly exciting and it's also very humbling to us. We had over 3,500 people join us for our Christmas Eve services. And just last Sunday, we had over 3,000 people here on Sunday morning. I walked into the back of Auditorium 2 during the nine o'clock service and people were sitting on the floor. Now, if you're newer with us, I wanna say something. Uh, we don't talk about numbers for numbers sake. Like we're not tweeting it out, like that's not our deal. But here's what we do believe, numbers are people. Numbers are you. And we care deeply here in leadership about coming alongside you and loving you and shepherding you and walking with you and to see you grow, see us grow in our walk with the Lord. Like we take that very seriously, we think it's a really big deal. And so we believe that part of stewarding our growth well is to offer an opportunity to minister to those that are looking to be ministered to, thus a third service where some of you that you've been coming in the mornings, you're actually available to come on Sunday nights, like that works for your schedule. And so if you came on Sunday night at five o'clock, like that would free up some seats on Sunday morning and in our fellowship kids ministry, we had over, uh, side note, we had over 600 kids in our kids ministry last week. Every room was open, every room was full. So this is a thing that we're really, like there are like, real reasons that we're doing this. But we also know there's a lot of people, maybe people that you do life with, that they can't come on Sunday morning. It doesn't work for them. Their work schedule, what's going on in life. And so they would have the opportunity to come on Sunday night. And so we're asking if you would be so intentional as to find someone, look for someone that you actually know that you do life with who can't come to church on Sunday morning service and invite them to come with you uh, on the 29th at five o'clock and be a part of that third service. We would absolutely love that. Uh, actually, I heard this, uh, so we got uh, one couple was so excited about this third service that they showed up last Sunday at five o'clock. <laughs> and from what I understand, they never went home. Like they're still over, we're doing an auditorium too. They're still over there. Like they've just hung out. They think they've got great seats. Uh, 
all of that to say, uh, we're pumped. And we think there's some, for those of you that third service and you're thinking, we've got some opportunities still for you to be a part of it, especially as we get started. Here's the opportunity for you. We need about 40 more volunteers for fellowship kids. 40 people that would be willing to say, I'll serve once a month on a Sunday evening from five to 6.15 for this service to get going and for us to be able to minister to those that we want to minister to that the Lord's bringing. We could also use about 40 people to be on our first impressions team. Hold doors, say hello, parking, and all that kind of stuff. And so if you're, if you're available, if you're not serving in some capacity, this is a great opportunity for you to serve. Maybe you are already serving in some capacity, but you go, hey, a Sunday night a month, like I'd be more than happy to be a part of that as we launch something new here at Fellowship Greenville, then you can stop by Next Steps this morning. You can also go online at fellowshipgreenville.org and you can let us know that you would like to serve in one of those two ways and we'll get you, we'll get you plugged into the schedule. But we're, we're really thankful and we're really excited about the opportunity. So let me pray for us. I wanna pray uh, the Lord in his kindness and grace would allow us to lead people well and then uh, we'll also pray about our time studying the word today, yeah? Father God, you are incredibly kind and gracious to us in and through your son, Jesus Christ, who actually does change everything. And it is uh, with a real sense of uh, thankfulness and humility and a desire to steward well that we launch into something new with a third service on Sunday night. The opportunity to continue to minister to those, it's not just that Fellowship Greenville's growing, it's that this circle of influence where you and your kindness and grace have placed us continues to grow. People continue to move here and they're looking for church homes or maybe have questions about God and faith. And um, just ask that we would continue to lovingly steward the responsibility we have with hands open to love and lead and shepherd and walk with those that you desire for us to love and lead and shepherd. I give you the opportunity we have this morning to open up your word, to sing songs of worship about you and to you, to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, to open up your word that literally changes people. Well, another opportunity to do that in the evenings on Sunday would just be just that, a wonderful opportunity. So we don't take it for granted. Lead us and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' sweet name we pray, amen. Well, I am thankful for the opportunity to continue our study through the book of James. If you're newer with us at Fellowship, we're usually teaching our way through whole books of the Bible. We only have a couple of weeks left in James. If you've missed any of our messages in the series, you can catch up online. We're on Spotify and all the other major platforms out there where you can find out about us. There's this little thing called YouTube. It's really catching on. And uh, you can find us there. Our communications team takes all of our messages, takes Jim's message and Charlie's message and my message. They take our messages. I don't know if you know this or not. And they, they, they just take them all the way down to 20 minutes. And you can go online and you can listen to us in 20 minutes. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, why don't you guys just go ahead and do that yourself? and save us all a whole lot of time. And to you, I would say, um, we love our communications team. We want them to have a job. We think they're doing great. And uh, they'll do what they do, and we'll just do, we'll do what we do. Uh, last week, uh, we arrived at the last chapter of James. If you have your Bibles, you can open up there, James chapter five. And Charlie, he unpacked the first several verses where James, the half-brother of Jesus, he's a leader and pastor in the church at Jerusalem, he unleashes a warning to the wealthy, rich, oppressive, non-Christian landowners of the day. And it really, Charlie talked about this, it really stood out in tone and warning and judgment because James has, up to this point, has primarily been writing and talking with Jewish Christians that have been scattered around the Mediterranean world because of persecution, as in, Hang with me here. They love and follow Jesus and they had to move themselves and their families to new places for safety. And so it's a letter from a pastor to a people that he loves and he cares about. And he wants to encourage them and he wants to comfort them and he wants to exhort them and he does want to challenge them because trials are right in front of them because the suffering that they're in the midst of is so palpable, yeah? 
And that's not different for you or for me, was maybe a part of our stories, right? When suffering seems so constant, the things of this world dangle in front of us, promising that they will satisfy our pain and our suffering. Just do this, just take that, just go down this path. And the same is true for these early Christians that James is writing. They need faith and wisdom, they need faith in action. They need faith and wisdom to navigate it all. And James is encouraging them to be aligned. I've used this phrase a couple of times as I've been teaching in James, to make sure that there is congruence between what they say they believe about God and how they're actually living. Day in and day out in the midst of hard times. And this is why the book of James is known as being such a practical book for Christians. And then you have last week, and last week it's like, wow, I am so glad that I am not a rich, oppressive landowner. Good for me. But Charlie's encouragement to us as followers of Jesus was what? There's also much that we can put into practice when it comes to the wealth that, that God has placed in our hands. Like stewardship's a real thing, right? Is there congruency in regards to what we say we believe about God's provision and how we practically day in and day out as followers of Jesus live with our hands open? And so today we pick back up in James 5, 7 where James turns his attention back to his brothers and sisters in Christ. And before we jump in there, I wanna pose a couple of questions to you that we'll come back to as we work throughout the morning. Here's one. Have you ever been done wrong by someone and you weren't sure how to rightly respond? Or this, are you struggling or have you struggled to do the right thing in an environment where the wrong thing seems to reign? Or what about this? Do you find that your faith in this moment is weak? because suffering and pain are so strong, whether that pain and suffering is yours or maybe is someone that you love and care about or maybe it's just the world that you find yourself living in. If any or all of those are you, have been you, potentially will be you, let's hear what the Spirit of God would like to say through the Word of God because What you have walked through, what you are walking through, what you will walk through, though it might be unique to you, it's not uncommon. As a matter of fact, every one of us has walked through seasons of being hurt by others. You could tell that story. If I handed you a microphone in front of of everybody today, say, you tell us a story about a time you've been mistreated, misunderstood. You go, yeah, no problem. You've looked on as those that you care about have been hurt by other people. You and those that you love have experienced seasons of suffering and hardship on some level. And you know what I know that James knew. When people are mean, when people are unkind, when people are ruthless, the temptation is to fill in the blank. Retaliate, fight back, hold a grudge, complain, grumble, blame, self-protect, win the argument, prove my point. Or when you think God is the one who is mean, when you think God is the one who is unkind, when you think God is the one who is ruthless. Because of the pain and suffering you're walking through or the pain and suffering of someone you love that they're walking through, the temptation is to fill in the blank. Complain, grumble, blame, hold a grudge, walk away. James actually encourages us and these followers of Jesus that he's writing, he encourages a different response. It's a a response that brings alignment with what we say we believe about God and how we actually live day in and day out. Even on especially during 
the hard days and the difficult seasons. Look at verse seven with me, if you would. We'll just kind of walk through it. Verse seven of James five. Be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Hit pause right there. A couple of things. You once again read James' pastoral tone to his brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's clear that he's returned to addressing them because the therefore is referencing what we looked at last week, the fact that they've been taken advantage of and dealt with poorly by the rich landowners. And you can clearly see in the verse right here, you all see it either in front of you or up on the screen, you can clearly see that James says to these followers of Jesus, in light of their hardship and their mistreatment and their suffering, James, James clearly says, retaliate, fight back, revenge. I'm being facetious. Uh, James says two words. You read them, I read them. What does he say? He says, be patient. And they're probably like, oh man, right? Like, can you imagine receiving this letter? James has been talking about several different things with you. He's called out a couple of things even in your own life. You need to be looking if there's congruence. And then you come to chapter five, the first part of chapter five, and you start reading it. And you're like, yeah, they're gonna get theirs. I like this, this is awesome. Keep going, I hope all of five and, anyway. And then we, nope, return back, be patient. And again, here's what I know that you know, that James knew, being patient doesn't come easy. I mean, impatience, now that, that is very easy for me. Like you might be, maybe you can relate, you go, yeah, yeah, impatience, I got that down. As far back as I can remember, I've been impatient. Can you relate to that? Me as a kid, uh, dad, are we there yet? No. Dad, are we there yet? No. Dad, when will we be there? Uh, you'll know we're there when I put the car in park and tell you to get out of the car. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Or on the golf course, I need the people in front of me. Some of you know I like to play golf. I need the people in front of me to be playing a little bit quicker. They need to pick up the pace. You don't need to look for that golf ball. That ball is long gone. And based on your swing, that's a top flight. That's like a nickel. I'll give you one of those. I don't even mind that. You don't need to throw your hands on your hips after every shot. You've, you've hit that shot every time. It's not like it's the first time you've hit that shot. I've been watching you. I'm getting out some frustration right now. If I play with Matt Rexford and it is a slow round of play, he is going to win eight out of 10. Well, seven out, five out of 10 times. If it's slow, he's probably gonna win. And traffic, I'm, I'm never less, this is transparency time. I'm never less of a Christian than when I am in a traffic jam or really anywhere in the Woodruff Road Five Forks area. Like there is a reason I do not have that leaf on my truck. You can't make me put it on there. Charlie driving that Jeep with the leaf on. He's so spiritual, like dare to dream one day. Charlie, maybe I can, and Jim, Jim's got so many stickers on his car, he can't even see out the windshield. He, I don't know if you've seen this. All of Greenville County, oh, there goes Jim. All of his Christian sayings all over his car, whatever. <clears throat> now here's the deal. That's impatience in everyday life things, which seems to be enough of a challenge for many of us. But James is telling them to be patient in the midst of really hard things, suffering, being mistreated, being taken advantage of by others. These are real issues, hard things, difficult times for them. And that's why James ties this command to be patient to Jesus's return. He says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Being patient is applying what James said just a few verses earlier that we looked at last week. It says over in verse four of chapter five, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So what is coming to those who have oppressed and put their trust in their riches and in their wealth? Judgment. Justice will be served. So let me ask it again. Have you ever been done wrong by someone and you weren't sure how to rightly respond? Do you find yourself in this season of life struggling to do the right thing in an environment where the wrong thing is so prevalent? 
or in honesty and transparency, you say, my faith, Jason, is so weak because the suffering and the pain in my life currently or those that I love or the world that I observe just seems so strong. To you, I would say today, God sees, God knows, God cares, and justice will be served. Like you don't have to take things into your own hands. And what I mean by that is you don't have to manipulate, you don't have to retaliate, you don't have to get even. James is letting those that he loves and he shepherds, he's letting them know justice will be done and the return of Jesus promises that so you can be patient. I do wanna stop here and say something though that I think is important but would need even more time to unpack but it needs to be said. This isn't simply about turning your face away from those who have done you wrong or are doing wrong. Justice is a call for those who have wronged others to admit their wrongdoing, their sin both before God and those that they've wronged. So please hear me say this, justice should be pursued for God's sake, for others' sake, whether that be a victim or a perpetrator, as in uh, it's never loving to allow someone to go on sinning in grievous ways. Galatians 6 talks about that. But at this time, as James writes, there aren't avenues, especially legally, for them to pursue justice. But he wants to encourage them. Hey, God knows, God sees, he will come back, things will be made right. And in that moment of his return, what you've always wanted, you will receive. And as a part of his encouragement, James gives them an example that they would have easily understood. They would have been able to think about it and process it. He says this, he says, see, look back with me if you would, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. Now the idea of waiting here is to receive something that is beyond you, it's outside of you. So there's an expectation to receive something that is beyond our ability to be able to bring about. Now, believe it or not, and this may be a shock to some of you, uh, farming is not in my background. But the basic idea, the early rains are intended to make the soil soft so the seed has been planted, can come to life. The late rains allow the seed to produce something that is full and fruitful. Another way to say that is the early rains, they lead to life. The late rains, they produce fullness of life. And here's what the farmer recognizes. He has zero control over the rain. His life in every season is totally at the mercy of God. He can't produce rain. So what can he do? He can trust the design of God. He can work the ground, he can plant the seed, he can wait on the harvest because something precious is coming and God is the one who is producing it. The word precious there refers to priceless treasures. It also refers to purification. And you maybe heard a pastor talk about this in the past, like think of gold. It must be purified through the furnace for its worth to be revealed. And because James is primarily writing to Jewish Christians, their knowledge of the Old Testament would be strong. And they would probably recall in this moment as they read these words from James, they would recall Deuteronomy 11 where it says, and if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season. The early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. James is reminding them the regular rains that God provides are reminders of his faithfulness, that he is a faithful God. 
So here's what that means for us practically today. No matter your circumstances this morning, someone has done you wrong, you're in a season of suffering and pain, someone that you love and care about is walking through a season of suffering and pain. No matter the level of difficulty, you too can wait and be patient because God is producing something precious and pure in you and through you. This isn't the first time James has told us this. If you go back to James chapter one, I'll just recap it so you can remember. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. There's all kinds of trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces what? It produces steadfastness and steadfastness. Let it have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. God is producing in us, even in the hard things you're walking through and I'm walking through, God's producing in us fruits of righteousness. God is transforming us, producing wholehearted life in us, even in our struggle, even in our losses, even in our weakness, even in our depression, even in our fears, even in our pain. God is producing life in us as he refines us from the inside out. So that means, and maybe this is an encouragement to you today, I hope it is, that means there's no such thing as a wasted circumstance. And that's the hope that we have to wait, to be patient as we await his return where he will make all things right. James reiterates this in verse eight. Look at, look at it with me if you would. He says, you also be patient like the farmer. Establish your hearts, or that could read strengthen your heart. That could read uh, stabilize your heart. That could read stand firm for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now here's what I've been pondering this week. What we see here is there is an uh, active, intentional peace to the call to be patient. Like for many people, the idea of being patient is passive. It's inactive. Being, saying be patient to someone can feel like a non-answer. Right? To the questions that we're legitimately asking. Dad, when will we be there? Be patient. Like it doesn't seem like an answer. Or on a much larger scale, God, why is this happening? Be patient. God, when will you make things right since you are a God of justice and righteousness? Be patient. God, how long will I suffer? Be patient but it is a be patient and establish your heart, strengthen your heart, be patient and stand firm, active, intentional, not passive, not lazy, not resigned. Again, as the farmer gets the ground ready and plants the seed, what is that? That's active, it's intentional. While he's waiting on the Lord to do what only the Lord can do, bring the rain. And again, James says it here. He says, the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now you might be tempted to think, James, you really missed it. Like if you were telling them this like 2000 years ago that the coming of the Lord was at hand, woo, way off. But followers of Jesus all throughout the New Testament, they were telling each other, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Why? Because they saw him leave. It's not some theory to them. They saw him alive, they saw him crucified, they saw him risen, they saw him ascend, and they heard him say he was coming back, John 14, three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What does that mean? What that means is our waiting, our patience, our standing firm, our establishing our hearts is not in vain. He knows, he sees, he will make all things right. 
James says, let me give you an example of patient suffering and steadfastness. Once again, he draws on their Old Testament knowledge. Look at verse 10. Don't worry, we're gonna come back to verse nine. Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but there was nothing real great about being a prophet back in the day. The prophet's calling was to proclaim the truths of God that God told them to proclaim. And because they're spokesmen of God, most often to the hard hearts of sinful people, the two main results of their life of ministry were persecution and death, right? An example would be Isaiah. He's called by God to spend 20 or 30 years of his life, be God's messenger to a group of people who would not listen, who would not take him seriously, and who would ultimately take his life. Jeremiah, known as the, he's known as the weeping prophet, like it's on his business card. Jeremiah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I cry a lot, (laughs) mainly because no one will listen. The prophets gave their life to declaring the promises of God and they were often met with opposition, belittlement, misunderstanding, being shunned, abandoned. They were met with severe persecution and many of them, listen, many of them never lived to see the fruit of the promises they gave their life to proclaim. And yet James says right here to these followers of Jesus in their difficult circumstances, James says they're blessed. Now why would he say that? What would compel these individuals to stare these circumstances square in the face as prophets and say, I will be faithful. Have you ever thought about that? Like, were they just a little bit checked out on reality? Were they callous and cold to the sufferings of humanity? Do you ever read through and go, that's just a little bit crazy? Like, I think they're just a little bit crazy. Like, God was looking for a little crazy. Or maybe death wasn't a big deal to them. No, I think they lived their life by a greater reality. They lived their life based on the knowledge of the full story, not just the single chapter that they found themselves in. They lived their life by faith that God was accomplishing his purposes, even if it did not bear fruit in their lifetime. And James, he specifically has them recall Job. And if you don't know, Job was one of the wealthiest men alive and when, when, when he was alive. And within hours, he lost everything. He lost all of his wealth and all of his children. The only thing Job is left with is his wife. And that turns out to be a challenge in and of itself. Two different people, same circumstances. Job's wife looks at her husband who's afflicted emotionally and physically. And she says to him, you should curse God and die. Job, on the other hand, tears his clothes, cries out to God, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is why James tells us to consider Job. Although imperfectly, he clung tightly to the fact that God can be trusted even though he didn't understand what God was doing. God, who is full of mercy and compassion, met Job in his sorrow, in his pain, in his questioning. God meets Job not to give him the answers as to why, but to make him more aware of his steadfast love and faithfulness. And yeah, the Lord will heal Job and restore him and bless him abundantly. But it's actually the presence of the Lord that transforms him. Job says so in Job 19. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. Job says, I see God in ways I didn't see him before. I've seen his mercy in the midst of hardship. I have felt his tenderness in the midst of difficulty. I have been a recipient of his steadfast love. 
And that'd be the story of some of you in the room today. As you've walked through difficulty, you would say the same thing about the Lord. That you've experienced him at a deeper level. Have you had those conversations with people? I wouldn't sign up for it. But I wouldn't trade it. patient. Stand firm. With all that encouragement and care, love and exhortation to be patient and establish their hearts, in the middle of all this, James is also speaking to them about how they speak to each other while they wait the Lord's return, while they are being patient and standing firm, right? It's not some new topic that he hasn't covered before. James has had a lot to say about how these brothers and sisters should talk to one another. You can read about that in James 3 and James 4 and listen to those messages if you miss them. But here we read in verse 9 and then in verse 12. Verse 9 first, it says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, once again, you know what I know that James knew. Pain and suffering can sometimes... Hardship and difficulty can sometimes drive a wedge between you and the people that you love the most. Maybe you've seen that happen. Maybe you could share a story that you've observed or maybe in your own life, right? Think about this for just a minute. If you're married, you're experiencing financial pressure. And maybe the financial pressure is not your fault and it's not your spouse's fault. And yet the financial pressure has become like this wedge between you and your wife, you and your husband. Or maybe you're taking care of a loved one who's suffering with something and you love them with all your heart, but it is day after day after day after day. And the temptation is there for the pressure and the frustration and the waiting to become a wedge between you and the person that you love and that you're caring for. Neither one of you is responsible for the pain and the suffering. James is very aware of that, So he gives us this picture that at any moment, Jesus is standing right at the door and we're to live our lives, not critical of God, not wondering, is there a God? Where is God? Why doesn't God fix this? How can God be good and allow all of this? And we're not to allow the pressures of life to cause us to complain and blame other people. Well, if you had just done this, well, if you hadn't done that, well, if you would just be like this, he says, nope, don't complain, don't grumble. Even that idea of grumble there, it's not just verbal, it's like even with your body expression. Did you hear about so-and-so? Uh, like that whole thing, right? Your body's a grumbler, Oof, they're the worst. It's what your shoulders say instead of your lips. You know what I'm talking about. God sees what we're doing. We will give an account so we're to live our lives every day expecting that at any moment Jesus may return and change all of this. And then he tells us something else not to do in regards to hanging out and talking with one another. Not only does he say don't complain and blame and grumble, look down at verse 12. He says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear. Now he's not talking about foul language here. He's talking about making oaths. Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5, 34, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Another way to read that is so that you may not fall into hypocrisy. Now, we don't use oaths quite in the same way they did in the first century. He's not talking about an oath in the courtroom. Do you swear to tell the whole truth? Nothing but the truth, so help you God. He's not talking about that kind of thing. And he's not talking about swearing and all the words that you should or should not be saying. He's talking about taking an oath to guarantee a promise. The Greek term translated swear means to grasp something firmly or sacredly for the purpose of supporting what you're saying or doing. So it's, um, it's the idea of calling on God in order to give validity to what you're saying or doing, to make it sound uh, more serious about how you're gonna make something happen or to guarantee that you're gonna make something happen. Well, I think we probably do this at times, yeah? When we're in difficult situations, we sometimes will assert ourselves by saying things like, I swear I'll make things right, or I swear they'll pay. 
Or if it's the last thing I'm gonna do, it's gonna be X, Y, or Z, fill in the blank. Or you've been done wrong and the promises of we are going to make things right regardless of what that means, we're coming for you. In this context, James is saying, be patient, watch your words. When you're going through hard times, don't complain, don't blame each other, don't make threats. Don't try to make things happen by sounding more serious or more spiritually mature by making vows and promises that are self-serving and self-promoting. Again, James is reminding them, you aren't in control, so don't make vows and promises as if you are. Because James, listen, this is so practical. James knows of these tendencies and temptations. He knows of the tendency and temptation in the midst of difficult circumstances to complain and grumble about each other. He knows that in the midst of difficulty, it is easy to get into a self-serving promises, exaggerations. And these things and many others sit before them. I talked about this at the beginning. In the midst of their hardship, these temptations to act in a certain way are promising to deliver them and make them feel better. Can we talk about it honestly for just a second? Some of you, some of us, some of me, like this is it, right? Here's what we buy into. In the midst of hard, difficult things, you'll feel better if you just get even. That's the temptation that dangles there. You'll feel better if you retaliate. You'll feel better if you just have a grumble session. You'll feel better if you spend all your time complaining. You know what'll make you feel better? Just live a life of you first at all costs. But those temptations before you, before me, before us, they don't deliver because they can't. And James cares deeply that what they say they believe about God and how they speak and how they live, that that actually matches up. And you know what I know that James knew. Essential to a life of congruence. Essential to a life of patience and steadfastness in the midst of suffering is our focus on our Lord who is full of compassion and mercy. It's so pastoral of him. As a matter of fact, I'd kind of like to conclude our time together this morning doing something as one of your pastors would you bow your heads and you close your eyes for a second? You know, when the early church would have come together, especially in smaller house churches and whatnot, there would have been a knowing and an understanding of what people were walking through. The heartaches, the disappointment, the suffering the situations, and they would pray for one another, no doubt. And so many of you here, I've talked about it a couple of times this morning, we're a larger church numerically and we have community groups and in the context of that community, people are carrying burdens with you, they know. But I'm gonna invite Trenton Stokes, he's our pastor of care to come up on the stage and over an auditorium too, my buddy Johnny's gonna be up towards the front even as Trenton prays. And here's what I wanna do to conclude our time today. I, I wanna read through the questions that I've been asking throughout the morning. And if it's you right now, I'd just love for you to stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. We don't do this often here. I just wanna pray over you this morning be the church so let me ask them again if you've been done wrong by someone and you aren't sure how to respond rightly 
Would you be willing to stand and just let us pray over you this morning? Thanks. If you're struggling to do the right thing in an environment where the wrong thing seems to reign, would you stand? Pray over you this morning. Yep, thanks. All across the room. If currently your faith is weak because the suffering and the pain are so strong and prevalent, either in your life or someone that you care about deeply or even just in a place of, as I look at the world around me, like I, my faith is weak. If that's you, would you stand? Pray over you too. Yep. Before Trenton prays, I say to you, he sees, he knows. He is full of compassion. He is full of mercy. So you can be patient and strengthen your heart because Jesus is coming. Would you pray for us, Trent? Heavenly Father, we acknowledge this morning that uh, life is not perfect. We live in a broken world, cursed by sin. We have hardship and pain that comes into our lives. And Father, what I do know is that these good men and women, these people that are standing here today, they've experienced hurt and pain, perhaps suffering, wrongs done to them, maybe wrongs done by them. But God, the brokenness of this world is no match for your grace. The hurt and pain that we feel cannot hide in darkness forever because your light overcomes all darkness. And I pray that today would be a day of you shining brightly into our hearts, into the nooks and crevices where maybe we've harbored, harbored resentment or maybe where we have planned revenge. God, I pray that you would, even right now, just by your Holy Spirit and your presence, just press upon our hearts that we might receive a healing touch today. And perhaps it's the beginning of healing. Perhaps it's the beginning of wholeness. Perhaps it's just the beginning of hope. Oh God, I pray that you would not let the enemy have a hand or a foot in any part of these people today. And I ask God that your word, the person of Jesus Christ would come alive as you Holy Spirit come and apply it to our hearts and you make Jesus to awaken in our eyes that we might see the son of glory and that in seeing him, we would become like him. Only you can do this, Father. Only you can give us hope in the midst of our hurts, our pain, our sorrows, our disappointments. And so God, for each man, woman, child who needs a touch from you today, who needs to sense your presence in a new way, to know that you're smiling over them and not frowning. Oh God, I just pray that right now they would have an unmistakable sense that you are in this room and you are with them, in them, working through them to accomplish all of your good purposes and that nothing in this world can thwart the plans that you have for us and for these good people here. So Lord, we just lift up our hands to you and we say, fill what you will, take what you want, help us to become what only you can make us become. In the good and strong name of Jesus, we look to you and pray, amen. Amen. You can be seated. And throughout this series, we've talked a lot about putting faith into action. And this morning, I hope your heart's been encouraged that you can do that in two ways. Number one, be patient. He's coming back. It's so certain. It's as if it'll be tomorrow. It may not be. 
It may not be in your lifetime or my lifetime, but it is as certain as the breaths you have taken in and exhaled in our time here together this morning. And when he returns, what will be abundantly clear in that moment is what we only see in part today, that he is full of compassion and mercy. God doesn't promise that he'll answer all of our questions, but he does promise to meet us where we are, walk with us each step of the journey and to sustain us no matter what it is that we might endure in this life so we can be patient. Faith into action also means establishing our hearts. And by that, I mean that we would embrace the long view of life. Every one of us are on a really long journey. Some of us are closer to home than others, but we are all in the process of growing and changing and maturing, having the image of God and Christ restored in us by the work of the Spirit. Life is not static. It's a long journey of changes of long days and fast years, of ups and downs and highs and lows, of joy and sorrow. And our hope is in the fact that he is with us each step of the way, which means nothing is wasted. For some of you, the reminder today is simply this, God sees the beginning and he also sees the end of your life. So he knows how to navigate the in-between. God is not anxious about you today. Did you know that? Like as your friend and as your pastor, God is not anxious about you. God is not frustrated by your impatience. God is not frustrated by our inconsistency. He has taken the long view with us, patiently, consistently, graciously, transforming us and growing us. And because he's taken the long view with us, we can also take the long view with him. God is doing a thousand things all at once, good things, transforming things in the midst of difficult and hard things. Things that we cannot always see, I would say often can't see. But we can wait with hope. We can wait with persevering patience because he is returning and he will make all things right. Your suffering is not in vain. 